Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. And our goal in expansion in any capacity has always been opportunities for other people at the at the end of the day. I can't, it's a team sport, right? I can't do one restaurant by myself, much less right. five. I need a lot of people. I, obviously, it's a business and you have to make money to survive. But really, the, the goal in any expansion we've done is, is to create jobs or, or to give people better jobs and things like that. By now, you've probably heard the news that Knox Mason is going to be closing on July 2nd in downtown Knoxville. After 10 years in business, originally in the 100 block and has since moved uh, in 2019 to the Embassy Suites Hotel and recently announced that, um, yeah, after 10 years of business that they're going to be calling it quits, which is sad news for a lot of people, um, a lot of loyal customers over the years and um, relationships with farmers that Chef Matt Gallagher has, who is our guest today here on The Scruffy Stuff. He's going to join us here in just a second to talk about the journey, both his personal journey as a chef, starting out cooking for rock and roll bands and actually at Blackberry Farm before he got that gig and eventually for the governor and you know his journey to opening up his own restaurant, but also the journey of Knox Mason and how it's changed over the years as well is what's next for him and the entire downtown dining scene. But before we get into that, welcome. I'm Ryan Willis, Urban Life Writer at Knox News and host of the Scruffy Stuff Podcast, a podcast about all the news happening in and around downtown Knoxville. The Scruffy Stuff is brought to you by KnoxNews.com, where you can find everything we discuss here on the show and a whole lot more. Knox News relies on support from readers and listeners to provide you compelling stories from Knoxville and across East Tennessee. Subscribers get an all-access pass to all of our premium, exclusive content. And to become a subscriber, it's easy. Just visit knoxnews.com slash subscribe to see our latest offer and sign up today. Getting ready to leave for Bonnaroo tomorrow, and I got rock and roll fresh on the mind. But, Matt, the way you got started is, is very interesting. I think it's a... Sounds like a dream job for somebody that's in the in the food industry to be able to be on the road with some bands. Can you talk a little bit about sort of how you got that gig and sort of how you started out, um, you know, prior to Knox Mason? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I feel like I've had a few dream jobs in my career so far. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I actually went to UT and got a degree in chemical engineering and uh, got a bi- uh, minor in business. But growing up, uh, my mom started a catering company when I was like nine, so. I grew up in Kodak, so getting out of the house and helping her was like, you know, an escape for me. And so I kind of fell in love with food at an early age and um, worked in restaurants while I was in college. And uh, by my senior year, I had done 15 months of co-op and internships in chemical plants and manufacturing and just kind of decided the day-to-day of a kitchen was was a little more appealing for me. So uh, I graduated but didn't pursue the degree, um, and I worked with Holly Hambright. Um, okay, for years yeah. doing some catering and she really kind of you know let me know that you know cooking is a virtuous career and the food network was kind of in its first several years at that time and so I think the celebrity chef was just kind of first emerging at mm-hmm. least as a kind of a widespread thing and um, so anyway I worked for years with her and learned as much as I could and then uh, the only other place in the area that I thought I could learn from uh, was Blackberry Farm, or at least learn what I wanted to learn, and so kind of got thrown in the deep end of the pool and worked with John Fleer for four years and uh, worked my way up to sous chef after three years, which is wow. fairly rare, but it just timing, uh, just a lot of things fell yeah. into place for me, and um, did four years there and then had an opportunity, um, Hollis Church, who owns Dega Catering, uh, which is a rock and roll tour caterer, who is based in Knoxville, and she kind of had a standing offer, said, anytime you want to hit the road, let me know, and so I was a point in my life where I'd learned, you know, kind of what I wanted to learn uh, from the kind of high-end fine dining side of things and um, just kind of seized the opportunity to uh, to see the world. So I spent the next almost five years all over the country, all over the, well, I think 14 countries total. Wow. Uh, 
and got to cook, started in country music mainly, so Martina McBride and Tim McGraw, Keith Urban, and then just kind of the tours got bigger and bigger and ended up, um, uh, did the Eagles a couple of times, did Neil Young, which was amazing. I'll say for our Spotify listeners, you might not be familiar <laughs> with Neil Young, but Neil Young, that's a, that's a big one. Um, no, that's awesome. And then um, the, the governor too, right? I mean, that was, that was the next step? Yeah, well, so, so that all parlayed into me eventually kind of falling into being the personal chef for Kings of Leon. So that's where it kind of like went from cooking for a cruise oh. and up to 200 people a day, uh, three meals a day. Uh, the band liked my food. The management liked my food. And so they're like, okay, we're going to um, – you know, touring is so dynamic. I mean, every, every day is different. I mean, it's every day you're trying to replicate, you know, the show has to be exactly the same. Yeah. But you're doing it in all, you know, you're starting from scratch every day. You're building a new stage. You're building a new set. I was building a new kitchen. Yeah. So every day is different. So to find some consistency, I think that's why I was appealing to them is like they could count on me. And I think yeah. that's my Blackberry Farm training is like, yes, is the answer. So any off the wall request at any time of day, I would just say yes. What do they like to eat? What's Kings of Leon? <laughs> Go oh, for. you know what, the, what was amazing is that um, I grew up, my mom. Uh, use pressure cookers. My grandparents you know, uh-huh. cooked with pressure cookers, and I fell in love with it. So I always, I, I'm a nerd. But uh, years ago, I went to Kohl's one day and I saw pressure cookers were on sale, yeah. and I bought like I bought like six of them. <laughs> uh, and uh, you never so, have enough. So I and I use them. At, I use my pressure cooker at home all the time. Well, it's Instapot now, but right, I right, grew right. up with a pressure cooker. But um, so I ended up taking pressure cookers on the road because you could turn because you don't have enough. You don't have time. Like you, you were literally starting from scratch every meal. Right. So if you want a braised beef dish, good luck. You yeah. know, you're going to have to, you know, so I could use that pressure cooker and throw some beef chuck and make some burritos or uh, pork shoulder and green chilies and make some, you know, chili verde tacos or whatever. Jeez. So just that it's, it's flavorful. It's easy to eat. It's handheld. So that was what they were going for. They, they weren't sitting down for meals. I mean, their days were right. you know, all over the place. And so I think just being able to grab, you know, something quick and easy, but still homemade. Yeah. Know? Uh, yeah, so that was kind of their thing. Anything they could grab as they walk off stage starving. You this know. is this is terrible because, you know, I've mentioned last week on the podcast, I it was coming off of COVID and I've lost my sense of taste. And, oh, no. like, and, and I heard that sticks with you for a long time, oh, which no. is like the worst part about it. Like, yeah. I'd, I'll take the, I'd have a month of a cough more than a month of <laughs> yeah. not being able to taste no. good food. So. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I guess how this dovetails into Bonnaroo is that I was actually supposed to, to uh, go with them to Bonnaroo probably in 2009, 2010. Right. And, um, uh, the Eagles had scheduled a makeup show, and um, I got the call. It's like, hey, you need to go to Seattle to do this show with the Eagles. And I'm yeah. like, no, 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 I'm going to Bonnaroo this weekend. And yeah. I'm, I'm fragile. The only way I could go to Bonnaroo is like in some sort of amenities. Right, you got to have situation. the AC. and the, yeah. <laughs> It's going to be 104 degrees this I'm weekend. I'm worried for myself, <laughs> so, yeah. So I was so stoked because, uh, you know, being able to go to that and see that environment and then also have air conditioning. You yeah. Know? Um, but they were like, nope. Eagles say you, uh, it's you. You got to go. So yeah. I had my buddy ended up covering for me. So I missed out on the Bonnaroo thing. But uh, but that's that's imp- I mean that the Eagles they're like no nobody else. Matt Gallagher is who we want to cook our food. I mean that's that's says a lot. I mean that's I guess awesome. you know and I, I, maybe it's back to that consistency. You know they knew what they were getting getting with me and right. Um, so uh, but yeah so um, did a couple of years with Kings of Leon um, there that last year I was with them. I got a phone call. I was living in Murfreesboro at the time because. Most of the tours were based out of Nashville, so it was uh-huh. easier for me to not have to drive from Knoxville every week. And um, Bill Haslam had just been elected governor of the state of Tennessee and got a call from Human Resources at Blackberry Farm, and they said, hey, um, the Haslams need to hire a chef. Are you interested? And at the time, I, you know, talk about dream jobs. I was right. at – I really do like their music, and their opening acts were incredible. I mean, who, were, who were some of them? Like Built to Spill, Band okay. of Horses, um, oh, wow. Black yeah. Keys when they were first like – first hit it they were just blues rocking two guys like it's yeah it's like they every opening act they had was like as good or better than you know were you at the kings of leon show when they got the birds when the birds pooped on them you were there i was there st louis yeah oh my gosh i i laughed but i'm a a keller i don't know if you ever listened to keller williams he's a he does like Mm -hmm. some looping just acoustic stuff he's got a whole song about about that incident i mean i don't I don't think I have. I don't think I'm violating any sort of NDA to talk about it. But basically, right. what happened is that all day long, there's these pigeons in the rafters. Right. And they're like it's like this ongoing thing. Like, hey, telling the promoter, you got to get these birds out of here. Like, yeah. you can't go on stage. And so, it wasn't just like one incident. It was right. like this is all day long. We've been saying this is going to be an issue. This is going to be an issue. And of, of course, these birds are acclimated to. They couldn't. You know, I think they were trying to do fi- fireworks. I can't remember exactly, but loud yeah. noises to scare them off. Obviously, they live in the rafters of a. 
amphitheater right. that does you know rock shows they're they're not going to be scared off so, yeah so i think ultimately when one of the band members got hit in the face that was like okay we're gone yeah. <laughs> we, for those who <laughs> for those who don't know about this this is a i mean it's not funny because that sounds that sounds terrible i cannot imagine being on stage i mean you think about getting stuff thrown at you is bad imagine getting you know stuff dumped on you yeah. pun intended i guess but blackberry farm i do want to talk about that because i mean the chefs that are coming out of there i mean the most recent one that i that's really been making an impact here locally is Pochki with lawrence faber mm-hmm. over there mm-hmm. i mean it seems like if you have that on your, it's not just, you know, if you went through Blackberry Farm, you're automatically going to be right. successful. But I mean, some of the, the best chefs around town, yourself included, have, have gone through this program. I mean, can you talk just about, um, and it's not in Knoxville, but it's so close. I mean, what an amenity that is for our city and how, yeah. you know, what you've taken away from that and how big of an impact that's made on you having the success that you've had. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what, what's the, what is it about Blackberry Farm? Yeah, I mean, there have been hundreds i'm sure of, of cooks and chefs over the last year even since i was there and so you're going to get out of uh hopefully what you what you you know what you can and some people will maybe never cook again after they mm-hmm. work there but uh you know you have the opportunity to really learn and um and be held to a high standard and i think that's you know and it's there's been some changes in the 15 years or so since i've left but um you know it's it's a property that you know, demands excellence and you, uh, at least when I was there and the culture may have changed some sense, but when I was there, it was, you know, you had to have, you had to be very squared away and, um, you know, there's no room for error. And, um, at first it was really hard, you know, the first several months, maybe up to the first year were really hard, but once you kind of get it, it like, it's like boot camp. It sounds like it, it, for, it, could, for yeah, chefs. it could be, it could be, you know, but John Fleer as you know, he wasn't, he, um, demanded excellence, but he also is, I mean, I consider him a great mentor and a friend. I mean, uh, he balanced, you know, that kind of stern, disciplined uh, approach with, with a lot of compassion and sensitivity. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, Blackberry's fingerprints are all over Knoxville. And I've, I've thought about this for years, uh, even before I worked at Blackberry, is that growing up here, because I'm from here, like I said, mm-hmm. on the Knox County side of Kodak, Asheville was always right. where you want to go just over the mountains to the east and, and then Nashville was always there and so Knoxville I always like wondered what's our identity you know yeah we're not quite Asheville we're not quite Nashville like what are we and so I think um in, in working with Bill Haslam like being able to talk to him somebody who's very tied to Knoxville right. and, and uh, you know maybe a generation older um you know I think I think a lot of things changed when the World's Fair kind of we had this huge exposition and people from all over the world and then a bunch of banking issues and things and right. so downtown kind of like, so, you know, and so now I think fast forward however many years, you know, our, our identity is in our downtown right? more so than any other part of our, of our city, I think. And, um, and so black Bay farms, fingerprints are all over the hospitality in our downtown. You right. Know? And so, um, do we have the answer to what are we now? I mean, if we had to, if we had to define Knoxville's food industry, um, I mean, I know we don't have a staple, a staple food or we don't have a fried chicken or a barbecue, but right. we have, we have, right. I've noticed, and I'm not in the industry, but I mean, the amount of variety here is, is incredible. Yeah. I feel like for a town our size, I mean, so trying to point to a specific identity seems tough, but do you have, it, it I is. mean, what, what do you think? I mean, I, you know, I don't, I don't, I can't put my finger on it per se. I mean, in college, in terms of a dish, I thought steam sandwiches were going to be, I know. Gonna be I still love it. I, <laughs> I love a steam sandwich. I had a, had a buddy in college who went to, uh, he went to law school in Memphis and he bought a steamer just so he could have steam sandwiches. Dude, there's something about them. <laughs> yeah. Identity wise. I mean, you know, the university obviously was, you know, is a big part of who we are, but, um, I, I don't know if we can put a label on it, but when, when you think about, so Sean Parrish, who owns uh, Java and Wild Love, mm-hmm. uh, he's been such a great resource for me uh, since before I opened Knox Mason because, you know, I was nervous. We first restaurant and have scraping together my life savings to put it all in and see if it works. And, you know, the one thing he told me a decade ago, and I still think means a lot, is there's a lot of room at the top. Mm-hmm. And he's like, as long as it's quality, you know, people, people will respond. Um, and I, that's not 100%, but that that seems to bear true in Knoxville and, and the, the coffee at Java and the, the pastries at wild love are, I can't think of how to make it better, you know? And so then, so think about, um, you know, Brian at a dopo, right. I, I don't think you could improve upon that. And, yeah. um, and Blake, I'm so proud of it pays on those bagels mm-hmm. are amazing. And so, um, we have guests at, uh, and Amelia in particular who, um, maybe UT professors who just moved here and things like that. And when I'm told Knoxville, downtown Knoxville has more amenities per capita than any place they've ever been, 
you know, I can't argue that. I mean, we, for a small downtown, we have a lot, we punch above our weight in terms mm-hmm. of what we offer in quality. And it's diverse, like you said. It's, um, And then, you know, our farmer's market. Yeah. I've been to farmer's markets all over the world. It's one of the best I've ever been to, and I'm so proud of it. And I'm so glad it's at our, basically our front door. Um, big ears. Right. You know, there, Just, there's so many things that Knoxville has to offer, and it's, you know, at the end of the day, it's quality. Yeah. You know? It's the it's you know offering people something that's truly genuine, but also just so good. Yeah. What was it about that original concept that made it so special? That made it such a hit? And I guess where did the origin for that idea come from? I mean, you go from mm-hmm. cooking on the road to opening your first restaurant, right? How did how did that all come to be? Well, I mean, I think the whole arc of my career. I mean, it goes back to my mom, and we grew up on 170 acres. Wow. And so she had it wasn't a working farm per se, but we had you know, a sheep at one point and chickens, you know, yeah, just kind of animals around had yeah. room to have the stuff. Right. But my mom always had a couple of gardens. And so we grew up, it wasn't fun picking okra, but we grew up in the garden. And so that connection to that food is important to me. And I'm a terrible gardener. I kill, I can kill anything. <laughs> so that's why I'm so, you know, it's yeah. one reason why I'm, I'm so grateful for our wonderful farmers. But, um, um, and then you go, so Blackberry farm just reinforces that, you know, John Fleer put, I can't say put, but he exposed the world to Cruise Farm. He exposed the world to Alan Benton mm-hmm. and Muddy Pond Sorghum. And so all these guest chefs that would come in from all over the world, and they're getting this, like, here's the best of what we can offer. Right. Um, and so when I started cooking on the road, it was like switching gears. Like, i got to figure out how to cook for, you know, everybody from the artist to the truck driver and make everybody happy and make it on a budget and do it in an hour, you know, yeah. or something like that. And every night after night, right. after and, night, and, after and, night. And, and building a new kitchen every day, having helpers. I mean, I did have, you know, it was usually a three person team cooking, but mm-hmm. the people that are supporting you and washing dishes and stuff, they're brand new every day. So every day you got to have this pep talk and every day, you know, uh, but I loved it. It was, it was a, it was a great job. It wasn't a job that I thought I would be in for as long. I mean, five years was longer than I thought, but yeah, I really did grow to enjoy it that's a rough not a rough life on the road i mean it's a it's a demanding life on the road yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but you you know you just like everything you kind of get used to it and figure out what works but in in every job i've ever had i want to learn from and i learned a ton from that job Mm -hmm. um you know working with a budget every single day and it's like you have x number of dollars it's not like you can't go over budget because it's all cash right (laughs) and and you can't run and it's not your money right you can't run out of food no yeah not my money and you can't run out of food because then you're you know so uh spending a lot of plates to make pull that off every day. But so so when I got the call for for to work for the Haslam's or to interview for the job, I I literally thought there's a 5% chance I'll take it, but I have to if the governor calls you have to right. entertain yeah. the interview. And uh, I met with Chrissy Haslam and her chief of staff and they said their goals for what they wanted and they said we want to plant a garden because the governor's residence is on 10 acres. Mm-hmm. They want to you know, work closely with the Department of Agriculture and local farms and really showcase what's great about Tennessee um, through meals. And, you know, yeah. uh, the dining room table seat, uh, has 22 seats. Okay. And their their philosophy is that the best way to get to know people is to share a meal. How often was it full? I mean, was it like, were they doing a lot of 22-person mm-hmm. meals? Yeah. I mean, yeah. I imagine they got a lot of people that want to come eat with the governor. So. Yeah. I mean, and, and it would be, you know, hospital administrators from all over the country. Let's get them to Nashville and let's talk. And so, right. you know, and I was cooking and, and kind of serving the food, so I wasn't involved in the conversations. But I know they were, these were all constructive, you know, learning. You know, they were, how can we do better for, for the yeah. state of Tennessee? And so... So, yeah, I mean, there's also a banquet facility on site. So, I mean, there would be a week where we might have to do two 22-person dinners and a 200-person banquet and wow. then dinner for two, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, but they wanted to, you know, they, they checked all the boxes in terms of, or spoke the language at least, of, like, what I was wanting to get back to of, like, okay, reconnecting with Tennessee because I've been all over the world, um, you know, cooking from scratch, really connecting with farmers. Mm-hmm. And... um my goal always was to own my own restaurant. I knew if I was going to give up my chemical engineering degree, that ownership was going to be my goal. Right. Just because I think they say uh, if you work, if you're a chef, you can work 80 hours a week. If you're an owner, you get to pick eight, which 80 hours you work or something yeah. like that. It's not really that bad, but right. But it's, it's a lot of work. And so if you're gonna if you're gonna dedicate your life to it, I wanted to have some sort of control because you know. Um, places close without notice, and mm-hmm. you know, you, you, just having that control to be able to. Um, I don't know, security or peace of mind or whatever. So, so yeah, so Knox Mason, it wasn't a novel idea to open a 
you know, we, we didn't, we issued the farm to table just because it was kind of overdone. Um, but we just wanted to support local farms. We wanted as a small restaurant, wanted to support small farms, vice versa. And we've seen that. And we have, um, you know, John Mitchell, who was, um, you know, is, is our exclusive provider of beef. He was processing two steers a week mm-hmm. when we opened and we decided we would be exclusive with him and he would, you know, lock in a price for us and all that. And as we grew and Amelia opened and he got more exposure and stock and barrel opened another location, he went up to six steers a week. And I'm not sure what his production is now, but if you're talking a small farm, you tripled your production. Yeah. That's right. significant. And so that's just one example of, of, the way we wanted to work together, you know, to just kind of all grow together and and ultimately, hopefully, benefit our town, you yeah. know, Knoxville. Well, now, ten years ago, like I said, I don't, I don't know, I don't firsthand know what Knoxville's dining scene was like ten years ago, but I've heard stories, and I mean, it seems like to me, just recently, in the four years that I've been here, it's just recently starting to get to the point where it's not just like, um, I mean, I've heard the criticism so many times: beer and chicken wings and mm-hmm. burgers downtown, yeah. right? Yeah. I mean, these elevated concepts that have been coming on have been you know, relatively recent, but Knox Mason was in that sort of sphere 10 years ago, right? I mean, y'all were in this farm to table, you know, high quality, you know, elevated sort of concept. I mean, where did that fit in downtown at the time? Was this, I mean, was this sort of a, a new concept for people, especially, you know, on gay street and 100 block, or was this something, I don't know. I mean, what, what was not, was Knox Mason really fresh and new and and, and different compared to what else was downtown at that time? I think so. I mean, there there are not to say there weren't other chefs, uh, but in terms of a full service restaurant, right. Um, with a, you know, full bar dining, you know, all that, I think we were the first that was a a chef owned, um, chef driven full service restaurant. And, um, I jokingly used to say, and I kind of mean it is that it's just imagine if Cracker Barrel had a chef because we weren't trying to do, (laughs) we weren't trying to be fancy, you know, we just wanted to do good food. And I I was very lucky that my sous chef, Sean Richards, uh, we had worked together at Blackberry farm. Then we worked on the tour together. Um, he's back in Vermont, but he's a, he's an amazing chef. He, he and I speak the same language. He's the only person I've ever worked with. It was just like every dish that we worked on together was like, we just knew each other. And, um, and then my opening manager, um, Killian Dallas, he was at Blackberry farm for about a decade as well. So from the service side of things, you know, we're just bringing like, we wanted to make that experience, um, of Black Bay Farm accessible, yeah, you know, because we knew it was great. We 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 learned so much, and we loved the product, the food, the service, uh, all those things at Black Bay Farm. But we wanted to bring that to Knoxville and make that accessible to people. And right, um, and I think we were successful. Yeah. What do you think the key was to that success in the beginning? Because I mean, like you said, it's a new concept and trying to do something new in an area, especially mm-hmm. in a downtown area where there's a, you know, it's pricier to get into a downtown. I mean, not as pricey as it is now. You know, it's 10 years later. Downtown's grown tremendously. But, I mean, to go into an area, in an urban area like that, and try something fresh, I mean, that's a bit of a gamble. People might not receive it well right. if it's never been done before. I mean, what was what was the key? I mean, was it the accessibility? I mean, um, even, I mean, I think about, like, downtown living now. Ten years ago, there was not as many people downtown to support a business, mm-hmm. but yet, you you know, you still push through. I mean, what was... I mean, what, what was the key to success there in the original location? Do you think? I mean, <clears throat> I'm sure there are multiple keys. Yeah, but. if it was if it was if it was that easy, I you know probably still be doing it. No, <laughs> uh, it, you know ultimately, I think it was the people. I mean, the team. Um, we had so many great people from the beginning who really cared. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, <clears throat> for what it's worth, I think the story. I think when people hear, oh, he cooked for Bill Haslam. Bill Haslam's beloved in Knoxville. And right, such a good right. mayor. Did so many great things for us. Did such so many good things as a governor. Um, and there's a little bit of that cachet of like, oh, he could cook for the Eagles. Like, I got to check this guy out. Right, right. Yeah. Uh, but we, you know, we stayed humble. We we um, we didn't try to to do too much. Um, we weren't trying to show off or anything like that. It was just really um, over the years of kind of come back to this and, and repeated it over and over again as having the heart of a servant and like really instilling in my staff that we're here to take care of people. Right. And um, if that's a $5 bowl of pork rinds that they say is the best they've ever had, that's a win. You yeah. Know? It's not, um, I mean, it's not about us. It's about, it's about our guests and uh-huh. making them feel, you know, welcome and taken care of. And I think my staff deserves a lot of credit, uh, kitchen staff and front of house staff. Cause the original location, there was no, I mean, there was no kitchen. <laughs> right, right. It was all wide out in the open. I mean, yeah. People would sit from across, you know, what, two feet between us. I mean, that's how close they were at yeah. the end of the bar watching us cook. And, that's um, awesome. Yeah. And so, yeah, it was, it was, you know, it was personal. There's a lot of personality in that space. Um, 
but it was small and so it wasn't it wasn't hard to be busy luckily i guess because 40 total seats so right i was going to say you know you use that word personal and we've talked on this podcast before about whether or not knoxville is still the scruff it's still scruffy does scruffy make sense for knoxville and one thing i've talked about is how that word has changed meanings a little bit and i like to think of scruffy as authentic personal mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. local collaborative maker that's what i think of as scruffy and even though we've got these more high level restaurant concepts that are coming um there's still a lot of personal relationships between the chefs it seems like there's still a lot of collaboration and even thinking about knox mason's move to embassy suites i mean we were talking the other day about how you know alpesh patel reaches out and you go all the way back to you know what was it high school high school, yeah. high school typing class typing together class, and yeah. there's still that there's still that personal relationship there i mean he talked about how that opportunity sort of came up and you know um yours and alpesh's relationship uh mm. at the embassy suites because that's an example right of a new i mean thinking about that kind of hotel coming to downtown knoxville 10 years ago would have sounded probably insane yeah. and thinking about this high level concept now but there's still that relationship you had i mean i'm just curious how that all sort of fell into place and really some of the, the the decisions that you had to make i'm sure it wasn't an easy like yes let me do it i'm sure there was stuff that you had to weigh out so yeah what made that decision the right decision for you at the time do well, you think if, if i can circle back to the scruffy thing i i 100 agree with what you're saying because i think when we're talking about knoxville identity you know we're we're kind of in the foothills of appalachia so right. like the people that had to carve like if you you go you know 25 miles east and go into Sevier County, you know, you see like these homesteads and, you know, you know where these people carve their life out of this mountain. Right. And it's hard, you know? And so when I think of Scruffy, I think of that like scrappy, that resourceful, um, I think maker is a good, a good word for it. Um, um, and that's what I like to think too. I mean, it's the embassy suites, right? But you have, Ham and goodies. Yeah. You have K Brew, Knoxville yeah. Brew. You have CJ's Tacos, which was a food truck, and you have Knox Mason, yeah. which is a downtown staple. I mean, even though you had this elevated concept, right? And it was still cool to see all these local businesses being the ones yeah. that were brought on, and to hear that you had a personal relationship with a guy that was that's managing the property. Right. And I, I love those stories. And um, the longer I stay in Knoxville, the long you know, the more you just get more and more of these stories. Uh, but um, yeah, so Alpesh, the the re- the hotel group, um, they have like sixty five properties. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't looked in a while, but I think as far west as Denver and quite, yeah, they're all over. Yeah, I looked at their southeast. website the other day. Um, and so, and he can speak for himself. But my my thought is, okay, here's your hometown. Here's the center of your hometown. Let's make this like you're kind of like, you know, uh, celebration of Knoxville. Mm-hmm. You know, so let's put a really beautiful space. You know, for out of town guests. You know, for people to sh- we we can show off a little bit, and then but let's let's expose them to. You know, well, Dale, who owns Ham and Goodies, went to high school with us too. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, wow. He bought it a few years ago. He didn't start it. Yeah. yeah. So, so he wanted to put in. What high school, by the way? Sorry, Carter. Carter. Yeah. Okay. I mean, uh, Colleen Cruz went to Carter. Really? Matt so, Miller. Yeah. Matt Miller from uh, Good Golly Tamale went to Carter. We graduated okay. together. So all these Gay Street spots. I was a bunch of Carter <laughs> Carter folks. No why. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why, but uh, but yeah. So I think Alpesh did want to showcase what you know because. A hotel is going to cater to out-of-towners, and so right. what, what better opportunity than when they check in the hotel can, you know, be exposed to several. And you're you not know. just getting exposed to Chef Matt Gallagher and his food. You're getting exposed to all these farmers, too, that you're talking about. I mean, you're right. getting the whole East Tennessee experience served on a dish, right, right. which is and, and cool, too. Some people don't understand, and they, like, complain. It's like, oh, well, they told us what the cow's name was on the menu and stuff. And, like, well, we never did that. But we did say it's John Mitchell. Because my thing is, if you come to Knox Mason on a Friday night and get a steak and you enjoy it, my server can tell you, you can go tomorrow and you can meet John Mitchell and you can buy the same steak and take it home. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's it's it serves him to, and it's it it makes us you know have some reverence for his products. So we're not, you know, hopefully, right. you know, cooking well done and you know, but we're, we're treating yeah. it with some respect because yeah, yeah. there's a name, there's a person behind this product and. So, yeah, the reason we always wanted to put the farms in, in the original Knox Mason, we printed our menus daily. Mm-hmm. Um, we never ran specials because we didn't need to. We could just print whatever. We, one day we found bamboo shoots at the farmer's market. Didn't even think about it. Of course, bamboo grows here. I never even thought that you could harvest it for its shoots. Yeah. And one of the farmers had bamboo shoots. And so me and Sean 
it's like, well, let's come up with something. And so we came up with a dish, and it was on the menu that night. So, wow. But, yeah, yeah, it was always important to us to also showcase to celebrate, you know, where our food's coming from. Yeah. But going back to the, the you know, coming into the hotel, I mean, what was it that you were weighing um, to decide whether this was the right move? Because you had that success mm-hmm. in the 100 block. And I know in retrospect, we are going to talk about COVID here in a second. But, you know, yeah. in retrospect, I mean, that would have been tough in that, yeah, in that space. Sure. But, um, yeah. So, Not knowing that COVID was coming, yeah. what, were you, what were you sort of thinking, the pros and the cons of, of, of moving up the street to the, to the hotel? Well, so basically, I woke up after our second anniversary at Knox Mason and literally in bed, laying there and thinking, what's next? Hmm. Not that I was so ambitious that I wanted to go do something else, but we were so small that my kitchen guys, who were amazing and talented, and Blake, who's our partner at Paison, he's the... He's, the brains and brawn. he's everything about Paisan except for behind the scenes. But he started working with me in 2012 or 2013. Mm-hmm. So we've, he was a cook for, and so these amazing people that I was working with, I was in their way. Like as long as I was working every day, it prevented them from being able to move up. And so gotcha, I'm thinking, yeah. well, I got to do something. I can't just like, okay, you guys now are executive chef and you're sous chef or whatever. I have to find something for me to do. Right. So that's when we started looking around for another concept and where Steamboat was on um, Market Square. I can't remember what it is now. It's changed a few times since, but we were close to putting in like a kind of Pan-Asian street food thing there. And that kind of fell through. And then where Oliver Oliver Royale is, we had a proposal to do a restaurant there. And the counter proposal wasn't really attractive to us. And mm-hmm. It was attached to the hotel at the time. And we were like, Meh. so that fell through. And then I was I was actually working at the farmers market. One of our one of our farmers uh, partners passed away suddenly. So on Wednesdays I would just work at the farmers market with her. And I saw this, you know, sign on uh, latitude latitude thirty five is what it was. Yeah. And so <clears throat> Italian food was like again not a novel idea to have handmade italian food but just nobody was doing it in knoxville which is surprising i feel like that's the one like the one of the types of foods that you would think would be yeah. all over the place yeah like it's such a like everybody can get behind italian and right. mexican tacos quesadillas yeah. and pasta that's yeah. surprising yeah. to me that always that there's only been a you know a couple of them in, in our downtown mm-hmm. area but anyways well and, and so so the space was big enough because like you, you need a decent sized kitchen to do pasta i mean if it's it's extruded and hand rolled in house and then we make you know ricotta you know huge batches so you need the space to do it and that that was like okay we're gonna do italian like Mm -hmm. if we can get the space the kitchen's big enough and um so and then you know the question of authenticity comes in and had to reconcile pretty quickly that what we're going to do is authentic to us and and we still get it i mean people still think well this is not authentic well it's authentic to us and if you're in if you're in bologna your your nana's bolognese is going to be authentic yeah if you go to your friend's house it's going to be different but it's authentic to them still your friends yeah it's like it's like chili or you know it's like right it's authentic to you but you go you weren't it's like barbecue you weren't claiming to be amelia's authentic italian straight from italy (laughs) you know restaurant yeah exactly so it's just you know um my intention we kind of kind of went to amelia and that we opened 2016 Mm -hmm. um and so our, our, our rent was about to go up again. Um, and honestly, the space that we were in was a really challenging space. We had... Sounds like it. It's, it wasn't designed for a full-service restaurant. I mean, right. it, was, it was Harold's Deli for 50, 50 years or so before. How much... I'm just I'm kind of changing the subject, yeah. but not really. But how much should your model of being like an open kitchen and all, you know, having people sitting so close, you had to do with just your limitations of the space? Oh, or was okay. that... Yeah, so it wasn't like... <laughs> you weren't trying to necessarily do no. a big open kitchen, you know, sitting right on top of me while I'm cooking content. No, it was I just... Mean, that's what you could do with the space. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we, we literally took a, a deli counter and moved it up to bar height. And it's like, oh, we're going to cook here. Um, wow. in, at Amelia and the current Knox Mason, we do have a big window that looks into the kitchen. Right. And yeah. that's important to me because I do want people to know that there's actual human beings back there cooking their food. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it was, it was just a yeah, limitation of right. the space. But, but the, leases, the lease was going to run out. And- the lease was coming up, and we, you know, we were good for our landlord. Um, but, they, you know, they were going to raise our rate again, and the space was just challenging. And we had... We beat it up. I mean, it's it's hard. Like restaurants are, you know, every dish had to be washed in the, the basement. So wow. up and down the stairs with bus yeah. tubs and every delivery, the walk-in cooler was downstairs. So every delivery had to go downstairs. And um, and so when the offer, when Alpesh made that offer, I was like, brand new space, get to design my own kitchen. 
uh, more exposure. I mean, the hundred block back then, 2012 was a destination. Right. It was. And, and, you know, credit to the city for, for improving our little blocks, but the hundred block was still, there's not much resident. Well, there's some residential, but, um, there wasn't the, there crew, and not the original Nama and right. crew were the only two other restaurants. There was residential there, but that was it. Like you weren't to have people living around the corner that were going yeah, down to the. Nobody's getting their hair cut or getting their nails done, or right. you know, they were. It, if you're coming down there at night, it's there. It's just very, very specifically to eat dinner. Right, and that's right, it. Right, right. There's that's not, what you're saying. There's yeah. not traffic. Then um, public house was still across the viaduct, but of course Riga Square and you know some of those other things that draw people further down Gay Street weren't. Right. Not quite there yet. So little little pitch here. We got the Cradle Country Music Park coming. Check out my right. mailbag, and we got that two hundred block development. It's supposed to be pretty big that Hatcher Hills doing. So mm-hmm. we'll see if that changes. But that the opportunity comes up for the hotel. Right. Definitely more visibility. I love the overhanging mm-hmm. balcony there. Right. I mean, and um, yeah, like you said. I mean, you talk about no traffic. All you're going to have is traffic coming in and out of a hotel. You have new people coming in every day. I mean, I imagine mm-hmm. that was pretty appealing to you. What else? What, what else was it about it? I mean, that made you want to take that leap you know and honestly the main thing is is like an opportunity to have just a bigger space better amenities i mean to me the space is still kind of a dream in terms of the kitchen because i got to design the line from scratch and so the dish room to the walk-in cooler to the server station everything is like it's the only it's the only restaurant that i've done where i've gotten to do that like had a blank slate um amelia I had some flexibility, but it was a restaurant to begin with. So, um, so yeah, that part of it, um, more seating. I mean, basically doubled the size. How did um, the, how does the relationship work with it being in a hotel? Was it uh, the official hotel? I, I think that's a little bit, it's a, at least a little confusing to me. Were you Knox Mason or were you the official hotel restaurant Knox Mason so, of the embassy uh-huh. suites? I mean, how does that, how, how was that? So we were operators. It's their space. Right. Um, and so that's the that's the deal. I guess that was the other appealing thing is that like, hey, you guys, what, what I what I you know considered in the beginning is like what we're good at is hopefully uh, you know food and hospitality, right? Um, what they're good at is um, building hotels and you know uh, right. construction. And, yeah. And so it's like, okay, you guys do what you're good at, and then once it's ready, we'll do what we're good at, and hopefully it's a good partnership. Back to that collaborative nature yeah. relationships. Mm-hmm. I mean, it all goes full circle. Yeah, so we were operators in their space. Yeah. I feel like, and the COVID fatigue is real. Not not me personally. I'm talking <laughs> about the fatigue <laughs> of talking about COVID that everybody has. But, I mean, the timing, I hate to say it, really couldn't have been worse, right? I mean, you, that's, I mean, you, you open when? November 2019? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then November, December, January, February. I mean, less than six months later, it was March. March seventeenth was the day that we were like, okay, well, November twenty nineteen to March seventeenth. Yeah, how was stuff going? I mean, was so busy. Yeah, yeah, busier than we'd ever been. Um, I took so my focus largely has been on Amelia. So that when Knox Mason opened, it's like, okay, I'm going to shift back my focus to Knox Mason. Let's get them open. Right. Um, so I spent five weeks uh, on site uh, getting it open, and. It was like the first time in my career. I'm like, I know what to anticipate. I know the questions to ask. I know like how to react. And so, you know, I told my staff it really shouldn't be this easy. It was so smooth, so easy. Um, not to say it was perfect, but really, rest- opening restaurants can be just so hard. And uh, everything was going great. Um, I had really good people. I had a lot of uh, people that worked me worked for me for a long time. That I was able. to to promote into higher up management roles and bigger salaries. And, um, you know, back then though, we were doing food on the rooftop. We had the dining room, we had in-room dining, we had a menu for top golf. So a lot of stuff that people and, weren't seeing and banquets. So, too. I mean, like, cause you know, you walk into Knox Mason, mm-hmm. that's not, that's not all Knox Mason's right. doing. You're doing stuff throughout There's, the whole building, right? So, bottom to top. Yeah. yeah. Literally from the basement to the roof. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there was just so much going on and it was going very well. Um, and uh yeah and so when the mandate hit we were closed and i don't even remember i could count the months but you know just trying to do to go food and still keep people employed and um I'm trying to remember what the hotel was doing at that time I mean, it was hotels hotels they, I, mean, I know they were terrible yeah no, I mean, nobody was traveling so no. and, and i know we talked before you didn't really have a firm number on how many were out-of-town guests versus in-town mm-hmm. guests but Either way, I mean, you're cutting all that foot traffic right. you know, that's and, going by, coming and in and out of it. was just closed. I mean, we, we just couldn't have people, you know, right, in yeah. the same, same at Amelia. And um, 
side, just a side note, one of the, there are positives in all of this. I mean, there's definitely, it's not all bad, but right. one thing for Paison, instead of this walk-up service of standing in line, and um, I'll be honest, it wasn't very efficient. And as an owner, if I went in to get a bagel and there's two people in front of me in line, I would be kind of discouraged, to be honest. Uh, so they went to online ordering, and their retail business improved. Mm-hmm. And it's sustained since. And so it was like, okay, we were forced into the situation that actually made this business better. Right. It made it more efficient. And uh, with having the dining room closed, <clears throat> you know, some of the staff saw opportunities to maybe pivot within the industry or get out of the industry altogether. And so losing, you know, slowly kind of like losing staff, uh, even though we were able to pay everybody, um, you know, people had opportunities to, to do other things. And so we couldn't justify replacing those positions because we didn't know, <laughs> we right. didn't know when we we're going to open back up. We didn't know if PPP was going to be fully funded. There's just a lot of things that we had to consider. And since we went from, I mean, we, we were doing maybe 10% of the revenue pre-COVID because to-go food just, right. just wasn't that busy. Um, so I think that just kind of started things slowly. Like I know my mom was with the convention center, and she had been for 20 years or so. Every convention was canceled. Right. You know, yeah. you can't, you're not going to have that tourist, you know, business. And um, so, you know, then that becomes there's no sales team for the hotel because there's no banquets to book. And right. So just there's this attrition that just kind of, it didn't happen all at once per se, but just like slowly, slowly, slowly. And then as we're merging out of COVID and we're doing half capacity and our numbers are still, you know, of course, if you're doing half capacity, you'd be lucky to do half the revenue. So we're still struggling, you know, you know, kind of limping along and things were moving in the right direction, just pretty slowly. Right. Um, so ultimately, um, you know, I just think we, we didn't quite, you know, I think the mandates were listed, lifted last April. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, about 13 months after the mandates were lifted, we weren't just weren't back to where we were previous. And, Really, no banquets. No, not doing the rooftop food anymore. And not to say that those two things were were huge, but, right. but still, it was just all those little things kind of added up, and and just could not quite get it back to yeah to where we were before. I think I hinted at this earlier, just to be clear. I think the quote you said was <laughs> something along the lines of, you know, if it would have been at the old uh, mm-hmm. location, would have been dead in yeah. the water. Yeah. I mean, that was. I mean, so yeah. in a way, you got some longevity for sure out yeah. through COVID. Uh, we, I mean, we definitely. I mean, I maybe another year and a half, and a year and a half of keeping people fully paid, and that's that is at the end of the day. Um, you know, I have to be able to, you know, rest my head on a pillow and at night, you know, and so if I feel like I've done everything I can to take care of my staff, that gives me some peace of mind but yeah keeping people paid is is you know so important um but yeah like a a half capacity on a 40 seat restaurant yeah right i mean it's hard enough and and our prices when we opened knox mason the most expensive dish on our menu was 20 dollars, and it was a six ounce filet yeah as mitchell farm you know local and we operated on super tight margins um because we felt like we had to, to to make the small place work um, but yeah, so, so partnering with the hotel was not a bad thing. It mm-hmm. just, it was different. Um, but you think about all the, and this is stuff I encourage everybody to go read my story over at knoxnews.com. But one of the things you talked about, right, is all the prep time that goes into that mm-hmm. and being yeah. in a hotel mm-hmm. and having a, you said what guys were coming in, coming in at noon and mm-hmm. prep until five o'clock. I mean, the hotel environment didn't really lend itself totally to that. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah, maybe not. And, and not to say that maybe we couldn't have pivoted somewhat to try to, to be a little bit more accommodating, but, um, the way we operate and the way, you know, the way I want to operate as an owner is I want there to be, you know, an intense amount of prep because I think homemade food is, you know, you tell the difference. People, people, yeah, people are paying a lot of money. So, yeah. you know, you hear about places that buy in stuff that I didn't even know you could get pre-cooked and there's places, right. places around town that charge a lot of money for stuff that yeah. they're bringing in pre-cooked and I'm like, eh, it's not, yeah. it's not where I want to spend my money. Right. Well, uh, um, you mentioned a name earlier, Brian, over at Adobo, mm-hmm. um, and I've talked to him a lot um, during COVID nineteen, just because you know the Knoxville Independent Restaurant Coalition was started up, and you know I've heard so much from him about all the challenges the industry's facing, whether it's the labor shortages, whether it's the supply chain, or um, I mean, we even talked about downtown specific issues. Um, there's there's you know challenges of just operating in an urban area like that. Um, but um, one thing I did want to ask about, and um, you know I. 
it's not the same as reading the comments on a news story, but <clears> reading <throat> reviews. Mm-hmm. You go you go on Yelp and and read reviews, and you know it's part of you is like you know you, know, you probably don't want to look. I'm just keep doing what you're doing and know what's mm-hmm. best. But you know there there are some people that are saying you know since the move happened, they notice a change in the menu. Mm-hmm. Um, some people said that as a negative. Some people said it as a positive. I'm wondering how much of that move going over to Knox Mason, would you agree that like there was noticeable change in the food that you were providing? And if so, how much of that had to do with COVID-19 and just the supply chain and the, you know, I mean, you have a million other things that you're stressed about trying to operate a restaurant, trying to be personally safe. I mean, I know it's, you're on the front lines too of COVID-19 and you're in your, you know, face to face with people. I mean, one, do you think there was any change in, I don't even know if it's in quality, maybe mm-hmm. quality, or just in what you're offering. And if so, does that? How much does that relate to COVID nineteen? And just yeah, I mean, I can't separate that from from yeah. I'll be honest. Our, we had more quality issues after the move. I feel like after reemerging from COVID, mm-hmm. um, than we did at the old location. Um, it's bigger, you know, um, new staff, and like I said, the attrition of of you know some of the kitchen staff it was so hard to and staffing shortages on top of that um uh you know it got to a point where i feel like where we were on the 100 block we played telephone you know that game of telephone where right. by the third person that's different well when you get to the seventh person it's way different you know what i mean and yeah. so i feel like because we had some turnover and we had um some new people in there like some things were just getting we're just getting lost and you know at the end of the day it's my business and you know it's my responsibility to make sure that those things were upheld um but you know the the bandwidth of having multiple places and uh you know putting a lot of faith in my staff to execute to our standards and uh you know we weren't perfect i'll say that yeah. for sure well i put a line in the story too though i was in part of the reason i'm trying to bring this up too is because you know I'm not, I'm not trying to brag on you here sitting right across your fellow. We're saying this, but you're, you know, it's Matt Gallagher. It's the guy that's cooked for the Eagles and is cooked for the governor and is struggling to maintain a restaurant during COVID-19. I mean, you think about some of the people that are just starting up fresh or think about, you know, some of the people that are, you know, um, don't have all that experience. Like I can't imagine mm-hmm. what some of those places are going through. And that's part of the reason I want to invite you on the show too, because I think you can really paint a picture for how much the industry is struggling if, you know, if you of all people are struggling with a mm-hmm. restaurant that has been a staple in downtown Knoxville for 10 years and, you know, it's coming to the point now where, um, you know, the last day is going to be what, July, July 2nd, July 2nd. Saturday, so July 2nd. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just wanted to bring that up because like I said, I mean, you know, Knox Mason has had a reputation downtown and I think a lot to a lot of people, this came as a shock and, um, you know, you can, you as in the listeners can read more about, um, you know, some of the stuff, uh, that led to this over at knoxnews.com. But one thing I did want to talk about, is the what's next. You talk about mm-hmm. juggling multiple concepts. Um, you know, the other concepts are still there. Fantail and Paison over at um, Marble City Market plus the other Paison location, right? And then right. Amelia as well. Um, where's your focus right now? Um, well, I'll just, I'll leave it at that for right now. I have another question yeah. for you. Where, what, I mean, what is, what is, you know, how are you adjusting, you know, preparing, you know, you got till July 2nd and, and, and then what? Have you thought much about that? Um, not really. I mean, the, the July 2nd was somewhat of a surprise, maybe not a shock, but a surprise. Um, uh, and I understand that, you know, maybe it's time to, at least for the hotel, uh, to, to look at other options. Um, and our goal in expansion in any capacity has always been opportunities for other people at the, at the end of the day. I mean, I can't, it's a team sport, right? I can't do one restaurant by myself, much less right. five. I need a lot of people. And, uh, you know, being able to partner with Blake and let, you know, allow him to showcase his talents and stuff. And then he's teaching other people. I mean, that's really what it's about. Um, uh, obviously it's a business and you have to make money to survive, but really the, the goal in any expansion we've done is, is to create jobs or, or to give people better jobs and things like that. Um, so now, right now I'm, I don't know. Um, when I had uh, multiple trips starting in 2019, I had multiple trips planned in 2020, kind of COVID kind of sacked those. Uh, and so um, I'm not saying I'm like leaving town or anything like that, but I do I need, need to take a couple of vacations, I think. and Well-deserved. And, uh, and, you know, reflect a little bit. But, um, you know, the climate right now, I, I think I need to take some time and, and, you know, just kind of recommit to what, you know, 
I think Blake will kind of double down and recommit to Paisan a little bit, and uh, and I will do the same in Amelia, and just trying to continue to to kind of improve what we've got and make sure it's it's still running well. Well, ten years ten years in Knox Mason is impressive a lot of businesses don't see it that long and talking about the impact that it had on downtown and i know it had a really loyal following um i don't know if you've ever thought in these terms but um you know a legacy restaurant i mean we think about some of the legacy restaurants that have been around knoxville obviously the biggest one is regus i feel like is the one that everybody turns to but when knox mason's gone uh you know people are still going to talk about it i'm sure do you have you thought about the legacy that that's going to leave behind do you feel like there's a knox mason legacy and that you're that you're proud of i mean yeah i mean um Again, it all just comes down to people. And um, so once we announced the closing, I've had people from as far as upstate New York reach out. Wow. A former employee who's a bartender. I remember him. Uh, I don't remember working with him that often, that much. But he sent a very nice message and said that, you know, working with you made me learn how to set up my bar the right way and do this and, you know, do things the right way. And he said, now I'm a restaurant manager in, you know, upstate New York somewhere. Yeah. And like those, those little things that you don't know in the moment will be impactful. Um, I had a, uh, a guest who said, uh, because we were so small in the beginning and we had enough staff that lived downtown that we had a really bad snowstorm one year and like every restaurant downtown closed. And I told my staff, I was like, if you can get here, we're going to stay open. And so, um, you don't know how that moment can affect somebody, but this woman said, uh, it was the first meal I had, or first meal out I had since my son was born. And, Everywhere was closed. You guys stayed open. I will never forget that first meal after wow. my first child. And you just don't you don't know how you're creating memories. We hope we're creating memories, right? And, and some days that's why you do it, right? Better than others, yeah. Um, but the one that you know, the 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 farmers, you know, like my relationship with farms, and I still will continue those relationships. But Charlie Zavells was 16 when Knox Mason opened, and we met him at the farmers market, and. Uh, fast forward a decade, he's graduated from UT, he's married, I think he's got a kid now, and the only reason he was coming to the farmer's market, or when we met, is because he just got his driver's license, and so I have this relationship with his family now, and you know, been out to the farm, and I don't know, it's like you know, we've 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 kind of grown together, you know, in a way um, and, then, and then Jason Hanna who is connected to a lot of restaurants downtown, because he created a market which is pretty cool um where he goes out to spencer mountain tennessee uh to the mennonite community that has amazing and i mean just an abundance of produce from variety to just sheer volume Mm -hmm. and he's created this job for himself where he connects all the restaurants he'll take an order he'll send an email every week or twice a week here's what's available and then the restaurants respond with their order, and he'll drive to Spencer Mountain and bring it back. Wow! Because they don't, they don't. Use, I tried to take. The, he brought the farmers down one day, and I tried to take their picture, and they declined. Yeah. Uh, so he, you know, he's created a, and he said this. I wouldn't have this job if it wasn't for you and for Knox Mason. Wow. Spreading the word, and so this is like full time job now, and uh, it benefits everybody. So yeah. it benefits the farmers. He's got a job that he loves, and then we have access to all this amazing yeah. produce and benefits that community. So in well. terms of a legacy, like I, I hope. And, and, you know, I can't give Charlotte Tolley enough credit for the Market Square Farmer's Market. And she's the executive director of Nourish Knoxville. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how many, how many years it's been now, but I was on the board for six years of Nourish Knoxville. And one of the early years I was on the board, we had to vote to approve a laptop and a cell phone or something like that. Because she'd been doing it with all her right. own. And she did it for so many years. And so if any one person is responsible for the success of our farmer's market, she, she deserves a lot of credit for that. So, yeah. yeah, in terms of a legacy, it's, you know, it's it's about the, you know, just the impact we've had on people. And well, it sounds like you've already left the legacy. I mean, these stories prove it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, well, so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about sort of the future of the downtown dining scene as a whole. I mean, obviously, we've talked a little bit uh, about COVID-19. There is some COVID-19 fatigue out there, but it's still an issue. Restaurants are still struggling. But we've seen some exciting concepts uh, come downtown uh, recently and um, some exciting trends possibly going forward. So stick with us and we'll be right back. Hey, I'm Tyler Whetstone, reporter at Knox News. I've covered local government politics for the last five plus years, but have recently moved into investigations where I'll be focusing on accountability journalism 
particularly the Knoxville Police Department and other projects as they arise. To follow my work, follow me on Twitter at Tyler underscore Whetstone. Now, back to the show. Well, the last question I have for you, it's actually two questions. You could answer one or you can answer both. I don't know, or you know, one's easier than the other. I don't know. What, what do you see as the next step in the downtown dining scene, um, just based off trends that you've seen downtown? Or what would you just like to see? What do you feel like is missing in the downtown dining scene? I mean, um, you know, we talked earlier about Italian, which was a surprising one until Amelia came along. Mm-hmm. And we've since added um, Asteria Stella on uh, the old city. But, I mean, is there any um, anything that you feel like is really missing that downtown could use? And maybe you don't want to answer that. You don't want to give away any ideas no, you have no. brewing. But. Well, I think I think there's going to be a French restaurant going in where Sapphire was. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Aaron um, yeah, Thompson's for, doing for, that. For many years, I've thought. I mean, yeah, I think like a legitimate, like real French place would be great. Right. Whether it's a bistro or higher end. Um, right. we, got, we got French market crepes. but Yeah, yeah. which are great. Yeah. Um, I'm really impressed with Brass Pearl. I've only eaten there once, but I've still not made it over there, which is crazy. As much yeah. as I've complained about not having seafood in Knoxville, you think <laughs> yeah. I would have been there I mean, on open day? It's a cool space, and the food was good, and like yeah. that was a great concept for for Market Square. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think maybe I can speak to where I would like. Yeah, I guess what I would like to see more of is quality because yeah. there, there's there are places that just kind of scratch an itch or are there for the people just wanting to grab a bite and if there's room for everybody, but you know, yeah, it would be nice to, even though I think we have a lot of options, but it takes time for people pushing to get better and better options. And I say, I think it takes time for some people's tastes to change too. Right. I mean, a lot of yeah. time, a lot of people were used to the burgers and chicken wings and barbecue and some of this stuff's new, new uh, to people. And I, I will say not this. to put Knoxville down, like we're not cultured no. or anything, but I mean, you know, some of these high level concepts are out of the box for downtown Knoxville, even five years ago. Well, so I, I will say this on a personal level, things that I crave in Knoxville uh-huh. in food. Yeah. That's what we want to hear. The Anduja from Adopo. Okay. I crave it. It's yeah. so good. Um, Dry fry eggplant and mapudofu from Kaizen. Okay. Just to name, I mean, I'm naming a couple, but on if I have an opportunity on a Saturday or Sunday to go to Green Acres Flea Market and get a taco or really? a, a pupusa, yeah. Oh, it's like it's you're you're on a different planet. Yeah. We we need more than that. We need we need some, uh, yeah. We need somebody to do an authentic Mexican. When I say authentic, I just mean. Cook, Mexico cook from cook, cooks with some heart, you know, yeah. like, yeah. uh, but yeah, it's hard to be, it's hard to be a good al pastor taco yeah. or a lingua, you know, and there's opportunities. I mean, there's some places downtown, but like getting that real, right. Just ugh, so good. That's all the questions I have okay. for you. I wanted to ask, uh, you know, if people want to keep up with, um, your concepts right now mm-hmm. or it, well, gosh, I don't, I'm not going to ask you to give your Instagram and Facebook handle <laughs> for all three of them, but I mean, what's the best way to keep up with what you got going on? Just follow the Instagrams, follow the socials. If you follow the socials, you'll probably be disappointed. Really? We're so bad at it. So bad. And my, my business partner is a uh, designer. He, he worked for scripts for years. Uh-huh. Um, he's an on a, off-air graphics. And so he's kind of always been like our social media guy. Yeah. And it's just bad. <laughs> It's just bad, and I don't. I don't mind saying that we are so far behind the curve. I'm. I'm this, will he mind you saying that if we put that in the podcast? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> the uh, well, here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll do the promotion for you. If you want to keep up with what's going on at Amelia or Fantail or Paison, go there. Yeah. Go check it out for yourself. Yeah. yeah, Matt, I really appreciate you joining me here on the show, and uh, can you post? I know we talked about what's next. I know you're still taking some time for yourself, and once you figure it out. Yeah. I would love to know. All right. And uh, yeah, I really appreciate right. it. This hope was a fun survive. one. I hope you survived Bonnaroo. Oh, I know. <laughs> the heat, the heat. All right. Hydrate. Yeah. All, right. All right. I'll see you. All right. See you, bud. A great conversation there with Matt. Uh, a lot of stuff I learned. I mean, it, talk about somebody that can really paint a picture. Um, and who really has a journey and a story to share. I mean, um, and, and the story's not ending, right? I mean, Knox Mason is, is gone here uh, on July 2nd, but, you know, Amelia's still around, Fantail's still around, Paison's still around, and who knows what could be next for Matt after he takes some time, like he said, for himself. Um, you know, we'll be the, hopefully the first to report it over at knoxnews.com. And uh, again, a big thanks to Matt for joining us here on the show. Very exciting conversation. Um, that does it here today for the scruffy stuff, but... If you enjoyed the show, I suggest you leave a review, a five-star one if you could, and make sure you hit that like or subscribe button on whatever platform you're listening on to get a notification every time a new episode drops. 
And if you want notifications for all the news happening over at knoxnews.com, make sure you download that Knox News app. Can't stress that enough. I mean, you'll get that push notifications. You can sign up for certain topics that you are interested in and specific alerts catered to your preferences. It's a really cool app and the place for all the news happening in and around downtown Knoxville and uh, all across East Tennessee for that matter. The app's not for you. Just at least go over to knoxnews.com to stay up to date with the latest news and consider supporting local journalism at knoxnews.com slash subscribe. We have some offers going on right now. And uh, I'll tell you, uh, the price that you pay for good quality news told by local journalists, I mean, you can't beat it. I mean, Knox News is uh, the best source for all the news happening around Knoxville. And uh, we'd appreciate your support. And also... If you'd like to keep up with me, in the meantime, between episodes, you can give me a follow at Knox Scruff on Instagram. And if you want to join in on the downtown discussion, perhaps you have something that you want to share, uh, head on over to Facebook and join the Urban Knoxville Facebook group. It's a private group that just requires you answer a few questions to join, and you can get on in there and post and comment. It's also a place that we like to share the podcast and get the conversation going. But of course, like I said, it's a it's a community. It's a page, and you get the conversation going yourself. And uh yeah, that does it today. Speaking of conversations, again, great conversation with Matt. Looking forward to more exciting conversations here on the show. And we will be back again next week. So stay tuned. You won't want to miss next week's episode. You don't want to miss any of them. This has been the Scruffy Stuff. Cheers. Cheers.